Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. The scripture for today is 2 Peter 2, verses 12 to 22. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand. And like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam's son of Baal, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, thank you, Margaret. Can everybody hear me this morning? Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. All right. Great. Okay. Well, it is uh, good to see all of you on Zoom this morning. And it's good to see all your faces and welcome to all those of you who are watching this morning uh, on YouTube. I, I miss seeing your faces and I miss gathering together in person, but hopefully 
Uh, it won't be too long until we can do that again. Well, today we are continuing in our series on the book of 2 Peter. And the passage we're looking at today, which Margaret just read, comes from the second chapter of the book, which is addressing the problem of false teachers. Now, we've been looking at this topic for the past few weeks, and one of the sobering realities that we've looked at so far is that false teachers are inevitable. They've been present in every area of the church or every era of the church. And, and false teachers, they're like a virus that keeps mutating and emerging in slightly different forms throughout church history. That's why Peter wrote this chapter. He knew it was inevitable that we would encounter false teachers, and he wanted to help us build up an immunity to false teachers by warning us about them. So Peter spent the majority of this chapter describing what false teachers are like so that we can identify them. And he identified the characteristics or symptoms of the false teachers. Um, when, he, when he does that, it's not unlike what the government has been doing recently to, to, help us, uh, to help us identify whether or not we have the coronavirus. You know, they regularly remind us about the symptoms of the coronavirus, you know, the cough, the fever, the loss of taste and smell. We've heard it all over and over again. Um, and that's what Peter's doing in this chapter. He's reminding us of the symptoms of false teachers so that we can identify them and protect ourselves and others from the harm they can cause. And, and the first three verses of this chapter, which we looked at a few weeks ago, Peter mentioned five characteristics of a false teacher. And they are men and women who are deceptive. You know, they're skilled at taking people in and deceiving people. They teach destructive heresies. In other words, they dilute and corrupt and compromise the truth to the point where it loses its power. Um, they're sexually immoral. And obviously that was described a lot in the passage that we read today. And, and they can have large followings. And often that's because they're telling people what they want to hear rather than the truth they need to hear. And they're often greedy. You know, they're motivated by what they can get from the church, particularly when it comes to sex, money, and power. So today, we're going to conclude our study of false teachers by looking at the rest of chapter two, which really just elaborates on these five characteristics that he mentioned in the first three verses. But rather than just rehashing those characteristics, today I want to talk about why false teachers act this way? What's the root cause of their behavior? If we continue with that virus analogy, I think we'd all agree that the symptoms of COVID, the cough, the fever, the loss of taste and smell, I think we'd agree those are unpleasant experiences, but the problem is not so much those symptoms, but the root cause of those symptoms, which is a highly contagious and potentially deadly virus. That's what a doctor really needs to treat. You know, just trying to deal with the symptoms won't fix the underlying issue. In the same way, these characteristics or, or symptoms of a false teacher that Peter is identifying have the same root cause. So, so there's a common mindset that Peter points out in this passage that causes false teachers to behave this way. I call it the lure of false freedom. Peter explains this in verse 19. And so I want to look at that verse phrase by phrase. I think it's the key 
the key verse in this whole passage. And, and Peter gets to the root issue behind false teachers and their destructive lifestyle and teaching in this verse. And he starts by telling us what they're promising. He says, they, the false teachers, promise freedom. That's the lure, freedom. And the lure of freedom is appealing because who doesn't want more freedom? You know, it's a great slogan. Freedom for the oppressed is what is behind most social justice causes. And when you think that you're the one who's being oppressed and someone offers you freedom, man, you just jump at that opportunity. And that's what these false teachers were doing. They were telling the people, you've been oppressed by all these rules and restrictions that are robbing you of the life you really want. But I've got good news. You know, what, what you've been told, it's wrong. It's unnecessary. It's old fashioned. It's ignorant. We know better now. You don't have to abide by the old rules anymore. You're free to do what you want. And that lie is so appealing. But false freedom, the lure of false freedom is the oldest trick in the book, literally. <laughs> you know, when did the lure of false freedom first appear in the Bible? It, 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 we first see it at the very first temptation that mankind experienced in the Garden of Eden. You know, Genesis 3 tells us about how the original false teacher, the devil, came to tempt Adam and Eve. And, and I want to revisit this passage this morning because I want you to see that, that he uses the exact same tactic with Adam and Eve that, that these false teachers were using in Peter's time and that false teachers still use today. So what happens in this passage? You know, the, the devil, he comes to Eve and he says this. He says, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You know, he starts by sowing this doubt about God's intentions. You've been avoiding this, 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 the, the fruit from this particular tree, but do you really have to do that? And so Eve replies and says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it if you do you will die. So Eve tells, tells the devil about the boundaries God has established for them. Now, notice here that Adam and Eve are living in paradise. They, they, have, they have everything they need. They're living in an unfallen, perfect world. They're experiencing perfect freedom. But God still gives them boundaries. He tells them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and there's a, he had a good reason for doing that. And that's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> but the point is, is that even in paradise, Adam and Eve had boundaries. But the devil tries to get them to doubt this boundary that God has given them. He says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and and evil. So the devil gets Adam and Eve to doubt God's character and the goodness of his instructions, and he promises them freedom if they disobey God. He, he, he says, you don't have to obey this boundary that God has given you. Actually, what God has told you that you'll die isn't true. God is lying to you. 
the real reason that God doesn't want you to, to, to have that fruit is because he knows that, that then your eyes are going to be opened and you'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll be like God. You'll be, you'll, you'll be free. And the, the interesting thing about this is that it's mostly true. You know, by eating the fruit, their eyes would be opened and they would know the difference between good and evil. That's true. But what he didn't tell them is that it wouldn't make their lives better. It wouldn't make them more free. Instead, it would begin their enslavement to sin and shame. So the lure, he puts the lure out there. This Take this fruit and you're going to have the freedom. You're going to have that thing that you've always wanted. And that lure was so great that they fell for it. And it says that the woman, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So by ignoring the boundaries that God had given them, by, by doing what they wanted rather than what God instructed them to do, they lost their freedom and became slaves to sin and shame. So, so this lure, this lure of false freedom, this lure of disregarding God's boundaries because now you know better is nothing new. It's been around since the beginning. And this is what the false teachers were promising. You know, they were promising freedom. But, Peter says, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. These teachers, they, they actually were not free at all. They might have thought they were free, but they were not experiencing true freedom. Instead, they were really addicts. They, they were slaves of their own sin and corruption. And, and then Peter gives us this principle that's so key for us to understand. He says, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. Peter is broadening the definition of slavery beyond human trafficking. Uh, there is a slavery that goes far deeper and is far more pervasive, and it's slavery to sin. And, and what we see in this verse is the progression of how sin works. If you think about it, how does sin work? It, it, it promises freedom of some sort. It promises you a better life. It, it takes whatever you're tempted by and whispers, this is what will make you really happy. And, and so you think, if I could just have this drink, if I could just sleep with this person, if I could just look at this porn, if I could just have this thing that belongs to someone else, then I'll be happy. And if you take that bait, it will gratify for a while. You know, if there wasn't some form of pleasure, no one would fall for these, these traps. So it will gratify you, but it will gratify you just long enough for you to become addicted. And what satisfied before no longer satisfies, and then you start reaching for more. And you get deeper, and you get deeper into the sin, and before you know it, it enslaves you. You don't have that freedom anymore. You, your life becomes about satisfying the demands of your sinful craving. I mean, think about an addict. They're living to get the next fix, right? The next high. They're, they're not free anymore. 
they're slaves to their addiction. And that's what Peter is saying about these false teachers. They're saying, I'm going to give you freedom, but actually they are addicts. They're slaves to their own addictions. And that's what Peter meant in verse 12, in chapter 2, verse 12, when he described false teachers as unthinking animals and creatures of instinct. In other words, they were just living to gratify their flesh. They had no self-control. They were just using their position in the church to gratify their desires for money, sex, and power. And they justify this by twisting the, their teaching about God's grace. You know, this, this is made clear from another book in the Bible, which is the book of Jude. And just as a side note here, the book of Jude closely parallels the content of, of 2 Peter chapter 2. It seems that both of these books were written around the same time to address the same issue. And so they borrowed inspiration from one another. So if you want more clarity on what the second chapter of 2 Peter is about, read the book of Jude, which shouldn't take you long because it's only one chapter. Anyway, Jude 1.4 says it this way. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. There it is, the lure of false freedom. They're twisting God's grace into license to live immoral lives, which is why Peter spends a lot of time in this chapter talking about the, all the sexual immorality that these false teachers live in. But if you read through the New Testament, it makes it very clear that God's grace sets us free from sin. It does not set us free to sin. Grace does not mean you get a blank check to do whatever you want. If you've, if you've really experienced God's grace, then it should inspire you to more holiness, not less. Seeing God's grace as a license for sin means that you probably have never really experienced it in the first place, which is why Peter uses those proverbs at the end of the passage where he says a dog returns to its vomit and a pig, washed pig returns to the mud. He's saying, you might pretend to be a Christian, but your, actual, your actions show that you're really not. You're, you're just returning to how you behaved before. That's not what grace is for. Grace produces a transformed life. So do you see what's happening here? I mean, do you see the picture that Peter's painting? These teachers have fallen for the lure of false freedom themselves by twisting the message of God's grace to mean they could do whatever they wanted, especially in their sex lives. And they were encouraging others to do the same. And here's the thing. The lure of false freedom is still just as prevalent today. You know, this lie that, that, that happened in the first century is still circulating among us today. And, and sadly, some segments of the church have embraced this lie. And, and they've begun to twist teachings of God's grace um, to, to allow for uh, sexual expressions which are outside the boundaries of God's word. Things like same-sex marriage and gender ideology. And those, <laughs> they, they, they claim that God's for these things or God's okay with these things, which is a very difficult conclusion to come to with an honest reading of the scriptures. The whole narrative of the Bible shows us that God ordained sex to take place in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman for life. But in some segments of the church right now, that is no longer being taught. 
I think these teachers, they may have very kind intentions, but in doing this, they're ignoring or twisting the boundaries God has given us for sexuality and offering the lure of false freedom by saying, we know better now. You don't have to abide by those rules anymore. And that might sound good, but if God has given us a boundary, it's actually the best thing for us. We think we're being merciful when we try to adjust those boundaries. But listen, we cannot be more merciful than God. If he's given us those boundaries, they're given to us for our good. They're given so that we can have an abundant life, not to steal our abundant life. Think about it this way. You know, we, it would be impossible to play football without boundaries and rules. If you're going to play football, you have to know where the touch lines are. You have to know where the goalposts are. We have to know what a foul is and what it's not. Otherwise, you just have chaos on the pitch, right? You, you could just pick up a ball and throw it at the goal and claim you've scored. So boundaries are necessary if you're going to enjoy a game of football. Now, of course, within those boundaries and those rules, there's enormous freedom. But without them, you know, it would be, it would be impossible to play the game. But in our, it, but what we're seeing in both our culture and in some segments of the church right now is the desire to erase the boundaries, particularly in areas of sexuality. And what I want to say as your pastor is that anytime we ignore God's boundaries, whether it's looking at porn or committing adultery or indulging in the hookup culture or homosexuality or transgenderism, it will never work out well in the end. It will not set us free. It's a lure of false freedom that will lead us away from God and enslave us to sinful desire. The same is true for any sin. Now, let me say that if you're struggling with any of these issues, you need to know that God loves you this morning. He does not condemn you and neither do I. <laughs> My intention this morning is not to condemn you or judge you. I, we all struggle in one way or another. And here at Antioch, we, we love you and we want you to experience the true freedom that God has for you, which is why we're talking about this this morning. And here's the thing. The good news is that true freedom is available. After all, if there's a false freedom, then there must be a true freedom. Otherwise, the lure would have no power. So, so what is true freedom? John 8 describes Jesus' teaching on this topic, and he, and it, and it says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is saying that freedom isn't found by doing whatever you want. Freedom is found by choosing to live in obedience to God's ways. And when we know the truth, which uh, by which I think he means when we come to know God and learn to live by his ways, the truth will set you free. But it's interesting because uh, the people who are listening to him, they were confused by this. They said, but we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? They thought that he was talking about literal slavery. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family but a son is part of the family forever. Jesus is saying, listen, you may not think you're a slave because no one owns you. You're not 
a slave to a, to a, a, a human master, but actually you're still a slave to sin. You may think you're part of the family of God because you're Jewish, but actually you're a slave. And because you're a slave, you don't enjoy the rights and the privileges of family members. And so then he makes the offer. He says, if the son sets you free, you are truly free. It's like when a slave owner grants a slave his freedom. You know, Jesus is setting the human race free from its enslavement to sin. That's what he came to do. And he's telling them, like, hey, look, if, if you will come to me, if you'll receive the forgiveness that I offer you, then you are truly free. And this is the freedom that we're actually seeking. The freedom that Jesus offers is not the freedom to do whatever we want. It's the freedom not to do the things that will ultimately destroy us. In other words, Jesus offers us the freedom to say no to sinful lusts and temptations and not be dominated by them. That is true freedom. Ask any addict who has overcome their addiction how they feel when they're free. They experience joy and relief and peace and gratitude. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you. And here's the thing. You know, our culture says that you can experience freedom by embracing a lifestyle of your choosing, but, but that's false. You'll never find true freedom on your own. Now, we're incapable of doing that ourselves. True freedom is only found in Jesus. Only he can sever the chains of sin and shame and give us the freedom to follow God. But has that been your experience? You know, if you're a follower of Jesus today, have you experienced true freedom? Would you say that, 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 that you have experienced the freedom that Jesus is talking about? Or do you feel stuck and enslaved to sin? If you're honest with yourself, you know, are there places in your life where you're a slave to your fleshly desires, to, to anger, to lust or jealousy, to food or alcohol or drugs or bitterness and resentment and fear? If so, the good news is that there is so much more available than what you've been experiencing. Freedom really is possible. So many of us have been told that we just have to manage and resist our temptation. And, you know, that might be the starting place for us, but that's not the real freedom, the true freedom that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus wants to take you to a place where those things that, that feel irresistible now aren't even a temptation anymore. So if you're struggling with sin in some way in your life, the good news is that you don't have to live with that. It, it doesn't have to own you. Jesus wants to set you free today. He doesn't come to condemn you. Whatever your issue is this morning, Jesus doesn't come to condemn you. He comes to set you free. He's coming to say, this is not for you anymore. Follow me. Let me set you free. But it starts by dropping the charade and the self-justifications you've been making for your sin and admitting, just humbling yourself and admitting that you've ignored his boundaries and, and chosen to do things that deep down you knew were wrong. And then we submit ourselves to God. We choose to obey him, choosing to trust that his ways are good and that he is good and he is trustworthy. And then you ask him for his help. You know, he, he knows how to set people free. He's been doing this a long time. You know, I heard a great story uh, a couple of weeks ago in our life group 
um, because sometimes freedom can come instantaneously. And this guy in our life group, he was telling us how, how he'd been able to quit smoking instantaneously. He'd had this experience with Jesus and, and all of a sudden his desire for a cigarette just left him and he's never picked up a cigarette again. I mean, it was a miracle. That's amazing. And sometimes God does it that way. But, but more often, I think it takes time. It's a process of getting healed and being restored and learning new habits of freedom. But it's difficult to know this freedom that Jesus offered if you've never made the choice to follow Jesus in the first place. So as I close today, I, I want to give you that opportunity, if you've never done so before, to, to place your faith in Jesus, to follow him wholeheartedly. So in a moment, I'm going to pray a simple prayer that you can use to invite Jesus into your life. But before you do that, let me caution you that Jesus said, if you want to be his disciple, you're going to have to count the cost beforehand. And that means recognizing that you're going to have to leave your old ways of life to make him the first priority in your life. Following Jesus means that, you'll, that your life will be transformed to look more and more like him. And if you're not ready to do that, then I would say you need to probably wait to pray this prayer. But if you want to experience the freedom that Jesus offers, if you've kind of come to the end of your rope and said, I, I got to have something, what I'm doing isn't working. And, and, and I believe there's, there's a chance, there's a hope that Jesus could actually transform me and set me free. Then I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. There, there's nothing magic about this prayer. This is just an example of something you can pray. And, and the Bible says that, you know, God can hear our prayers. And if you want to put this in your own words, that's fine. But just take the, the ideas here and just bring it to God and he, he will respond to it. So the prayer is simple. Just pray this. Jesus, I acknowledge that I violated your boundaries and chosen to do life my own way. As a result, I am a slave to sin. I'm sorry. I, I don't want that anymore. I want to be free. And I believe your death and resurrection made that possible. So today I place my faith in you and make you the Lord of my life. Set me free from sin. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. The good news is if you've just prayed that prayer, then all of heaven rejoices over you. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 15 that, that, um, that heaven rejoices over, for every one sinner that repents, there's more rejoicing in heaven than over 99 righteous people. <laughs> so when you turn, repent from your sin and turn to God, all of heaven rejoices over you, and we do too. And if you've just prayed that prayer with us, we would love to hear about it. So please uh, drop us a message. You can send it to uh, hello at antiochsheffield.org.uk. And, and we would love to help you as you begin this journey of following Jesus. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.